It is my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. Today, you've got me, Jeff Baker, and a couple guests. I've got Holly and Rusty. Hi, Holly and Rusty. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me today. And uh, yeah, so Holly and Rusty do a little bit of the van life type of type of gig. Tell me a little bit more about how it is that you guys live and the, the remote lifestyle that you're taking advantage of. Sure. So I'll go ahead and start. I like to say that we are part-time nomads because we do enter into short-term leases here and there when we can and when we find towns that we want to settle in for a little bit. And when we are not in a lease, we are living out of a truck camper. And so right now we're currently in Ashland, Oregon, but that could change any day. We're in a fortunately in a month-to-month lease right now, which are hard to find. So that is part of the challenge. But we just kind of like to give ourselves the flexibility of being able to explore new towns or cities when they appeal to us. Like we found Ashland just by chance last summer when we were living out of the truck camper and going up and down the West Coast. We thought the town was adorable. We wanted to spend more time there and kind of kept our eyes on the rental market to see what popped up. Um So when we were in LA, which we were there for nine months, we found a rental in Ashland and picked up and moved within a week. Wow. Okay. That seems really, really familiar. I'm actually kind of a part-time nomad too. I still rent a place up in Northern California, just kind of like a home base so that I can recharge and just kind of be me for a little while and then go back out and then travel and then come back and do that kind of thing. Let me back up though. Tell me... How did you get to this place where you decided you wanted to do this? Because I knew you from before. Everybody, (laughs) I worked with Holly back at Brafton. We worked the office job. We worked and we were our business casual stuff. A little bit more casual for me. Holly, you might have been, no, you weren't more professional than I was. (laughs) I'm not going to give you that much credit. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we were those crushed and normal people going into an office. Something changed. What happened in your lives where you're just like, okay, I'm kicking this thing and I'm going to go live this semi-nomadic lifestyle. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of a slow evolution. I mean, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to leave Chicago where I was based for Brafton and move to Denver. But so I basically told Brafton, if you want to keep me, I'm going to be remote. And they agreed to that. So it doesn't always work to strong arm your employer into a remote opportunity. But for me, it worked. And then I was able to find a remote job after that when I was already in Denver but I didn't really take to the road until I met Rusty in 2019. And he already had the truck camper. He had the whole rig set up, which, you know, obviously takes a lot of the challenge out of having some sort of vehicle to base out of when he already has the setup. So it's a kind of a long, complicated story of how we ended up on the road together. But I can start by just saying that we early, right before the pandemic. So in about March of 2020, we were like, let's go on a week-long camping trip. And this is when we were both based in Denver, Colorado. I was already remote. Rusty was working an office job. 
And while we were on our week-long vacation, Denver went into lockdown. And so we were like, why would we go back to the city? Nothing's happening. So we ended up on the road together for six weeks living out of the truck camper in national forests and still working the entire time. <laughs> we had internet and I, Rusty will go into detail about how we got internet, but it was kind of a spontaneous thing. And then after that happened, we just kept doing more and more of it. And so we can go into more detail about that too, but that's how it started really. Oh, we have to. I've got so many questions. Okay, so I want to I want to go through two questions because one is really really important for my audience. I want to talk about you and you use the word strong armed Brafton into becoming a, ro- a remote worker. I need to unpack this because a lot of people are stuck in the place where they need to figure out how to talk to their employer about being a remote worker. Tell me about how that went. Yeah, so I think it was a little bit of an easier transition for me because Brafton was already allowing us to work from home for one or two days out of the week. So I had already proven myself over three years of being able to do my job from home, which really honestly set the stage for me to be like, well, what if I did my job all the time remotely? And I will say that I made it pretty easy for them because I said I will become a consultant. So, you know, I'm not going to be an employee. I was fortunate enough at the time to be young enough to still be on my parents' health insurance, so I didn't have to worry about benefits. So for me, it was an easy transition in that respect. And I you know, drew up the employment contract, all of that. So I took a lot of the guesswork out of it for them. And I do think, too, that being in that consultant capacity and not employee made it an easy decision for them because they didn't have to set up taxes in another state. So you just pretty much outlined the whole thing. You just went and ran with it. So this is what I'm going to do. Here's how it's going to look. And how do you like it? Yeah, it worked for me. I I don't know if that's going to work for everyone. I mean, the nature of the work, I was managing accounts. My accounts weren't in Chicago anyway. I was traveling to go see them. And my my job was a desk Hmm. job. So I, as long as I had internet and a phone, like I was fine to do my job anywhere. Gotcha. Okay. Rusty, let me get you involved in the conversation here. Tell me a little bit about when you made that leap into, I'm just going to work remote. What did that look like for you? I have a little bit of a different story, stroke of luck, if you will, just before COVID hit. It was it was during the time where maybe we were at the point where we heard some whispers of it going on in China. Um, I kind of took a look at my job and said, I could do this remotely. Talk to my employer came up with a pitch, okay, then ultimately the paperwork for it, got it all signed off on, got it all, made it all official, can work remote, went remote. And I, I can't remember how long after, it's been a few years now, but very soon after I was hearing from all my coworkers saying that paper that you, that you wrote up there, the, you know, signature line from our, uh, our boss that's getting passed around and everyone's getting it signed off. Now <laughs> we're all going remote. And I was already off with Holly in the woods somewhere. Whenever I heard that happen, I was like, oh, awesome. Glad. Yeah. What was in that paper? <laughs> Gosh, I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> Probably. It was all truth, though. It was all truth. Uh-huh. Okay. So both of you really took a proactive approach to this thing. It didn't, for me, it fell in my lap. They shut down the San Francisco office and they're like, hey, there's not enough people there to justify an office. Get out of here. Go have fun. Go work from wherever you want. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool. Living the dream now. But you both actually had to work for it a little bit. And that's where a lot of people kind of get stuck. They don't quite have the confidence or they don't know what to put in that paper or how to convince their boss how to do that. But you went, you both went and do that, did that, which is really, really cool. Okay, so let's go to the next step here. You met 
early on and just moved into the woods, right? That's where we left off. Yeah, just your average your average story. Boy meets girl yeah. in the woods together. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Okay, let's pick let's pick up from that point. Well, yeah, so I guess when Denver went into lockdown, we were just going to be camping in Colorado and then you know, because we were like, well, we're not going to go back until this is kind of figured out. We just started going further and further west. <laughs> and we ended up in Oregon. We ended up in California. You know, this was the early pandemic when everything from like a rest stop parking lot was blocked off to everything in shutdown, right? That that panic shutdown where everything was closed. And so we had our challenges, you know, like where do we refill water? Can't do it at a rest stop, you know? So yeah. One thing that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, because we always get asked this at this point in the conversation, is is we get asked, why didn't you just go home? The thing was, at that point, everything was the same. Everything was shut down. So it was a matter of, really, the question comes, why don't you close your eyes in the bed at such and such address in Denver? That's the only difference. Everything was closed. So you know, there there was no reason to go home. We just closed our eyes in a truck camper in the woods instead of in Denver. So that's always asked at this point. Why didn't you just go home? There was no reason to. And I mean, we both really enjoy the outdoors. Like we both love hiking and mountain biking and exploring. And so we had the vehicle. We had the home base. No one was bothering us because everything was in lockdown. And Rusty introduced me to an app called iOverlander, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. If not, the secret's no, out, guys. It's a great me. app for finding campsites. It's a terrible interface, but it's <laughs> it's user sourced. So crowdsource GPS coordinates of free camping spots. You can filter by like primitive campsites or campsites with amenities. People will leave reviews. They'll upload photos. If they're super nice and helpful, they'll say like, I had four bars of AT&T here, um, things like that. And so we started using that app when we were on the road to find free campsites in national forests. And we found one actually in Southern Oregon where we ended up staying there for like, I want to say a couple weeks because it was like secluded, but it was also close to town. We also got really good at like grocery shopping for three weeks at a time so that we didn't have to be going into public a lot. And the whole time it was like, we're outside, we're experiencing nature, we're away from just being stuck in our homes. And that was the motivating factor. Like we didn't want to be stuck inside. And since we were already out and free, we just took advantage of it. Rusty, what you said really resonated with me, how, where I open my eyes, why does that even matter? And that's the argument that I've been making for going remote, for anybody that needs to go remote. What's the difference? Why, why does it even matter if I'm on the moon or if I'm in the office pretending to work on Facebook? Like, is that productive? Is, is that your idea of like what a productive worker looks like being present? No, not really. I mean, people have different peak hours during the day when they're super, super productive. Some people are night people. Some people are like me are really early morning people. And a lot of times when you're given the option of working remote, you're going to be more productive because you're in your comfortable space and you're going to be operating during the hours that are best for you in the place that's best for you. So that, that really, really clicked with me. And for the audience, Use that in your argument. Like say, look, I, these are my productive hours. Write out that, write out your own version of, of Rusty's paper and say, these are my productive hours. You've seen, here's my track record. I can nail the shit every single day and I can do it from wherever, wherever I want and just give me a shot at it. Okay, 
Welcome. Thank you for joining my TED Talk. That's over. <laughs> okay, let me, let's me let continue with the story. I've got more questions for you guys. You guys are working from very remote spots. One of the biggest issues and one of the things that people always ask questions about is how the hell do you get Wi-Fi? So for different people, different skill levels, there's going to be different answers and different needs too. There's going to be different answers. So the go-to cell phone booster. Cell phone booster, we all see it. It's the little phallic thing sticking up on the top of every Sprinter van and, uh, and a forerunner that's driving that around. Okay. So that's that's your cell booster. Got it. And that is pretty much the go-to whenever you look online for all-in-one kit. That's it. Slap it on there. It's going to do better than you had before. True. But there's more. And that's where we have multiple different internets, if you will, that we can draw from. So I use... Oh, I forget the name of the company off the top of my head. It's not hard. There's there's a lot more people using it now if you start searching van life, van life, Wi-Fi, but on, on YouTubes and such. So what I have is a device with its own SIM card and an external antenna. That's the key, external antenna. So that external antenna then goes up a, goodness, I don't remember, the, I don't remember which cord I go up, but it's the proper cord, goes up to a dual Yagi <laughs> antenna. That's Y-A-G-I. It's a multiple in, multiple out antenna. So you can you can do more. You can do more things. More, more Wi-Fi's are happening. So I'm communicating with cell phone towers over two antennas and a Yagi antenna. For those of you that have Googled it real quick, we'll see it's kind of a, a cone pyramid shaped antenna. That is on a 36 foot extendable flagpole. So Whenever we arrive somewhere, instead of a cell phone booster, which is tied to the top of my rig and whatever cell phone signal happens to be hitting the top of my rig at that time is what I get. Instead, I run that flag pull up. It's, it's lashed to the back of the, the, the truck in a configuration. I run that up very high. And if you have an Android, you are able to monitor the cell signals that you're receiving and do some do some critical thinking to figure out which direction the signals are the strongest and then point your antenna in that direction. If you're on an iPhone, Steve Jobs doesn't want you to monitor your cell phone connections. Sorry. So Android is key when you're hunting down cell phone signals to get your Yagi antennas pointing in the right direction. In that case, I'm getting up above the low line brush. So signal does not like to propagate through trees and brush and getting up higher, it's still within the tree line. Can't get, you know, have a, a 80 foot tower, but it gets up high enough where the signal, we're picking up signal in the middle of nowhere where you wouldn't expect to see it. Zero bar, zero signal at all on the phone, but getting it up, you know, it's 40 feet by the time it's all the way extended. We're picking up signal. Back up to that, Starlink. So that's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Most people know about it. Find open sky, point it up and uh, let the magic happen. Well, not necessarily, not necessarily for the audience. Maybe, maybe give us True. just maybe a 30 seconds on Starlink. Okay. Well, I also have a Starlink pole adapter and this it comes in very handy when you're parked near or amongst trees. So that 36 foot extendable flagpole, just, just search that on Amazon. If you're looking for it, folks, nothing special, just a regular old flagpole. On top of that, I have the Starlink pole adapter which then accepts the Starlink antenna. And once I get that up 40 feet, when we talk about angles of the satellites that are flying by down to the satellite dish, there's less tree in between me and the satellites 
because my antenna is 40 feet off the ground. So if we if we think about that for a second, with giving it up real high, I'm able to receive and send, send signal with much, much, much better quality. And that's the secret is get it up high. Now, some people get the 100 foot long cord and then go try to find somewhere within 100 feet of them. They run out and set it on the ground. Some people use speaker stands. If you've ever been to a an outdoor wedding, you might see the little tripod with a part of it sticking straight up and they'll stick it up there. That's about six feet off the ground, better than nothing, but nothing's like getting it up 40 feet or so off the ground. So you guys are way, way out there in the woods. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think the example I like, the example I like to share is like one time in New Hampshire, we pulled up and we had like one bar of signal and I was like, shit, we're not gonna be able to get on our calls tomorrow. And we did the whole configuration, raised the antenna, used our apps to find the cell tower, pointed the antenna. And by the end of it, we had four bars of 4G, which is enough to work on. You run Um, calls? Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, I will say now that we have Starlink, it's a lot easier. Before, there was a lot more planning that went into the the spots we could go to. So we, yeah, we would do like a several map app comparison where like I was looking at iOverlander for camp spots. Then I was looking at those GPS coordinates and comparing them to my cell coverage maps from T-Mobile to see where do I think I'll have some bars of 4G or 5G. And and then you're just kind of guessing, right? You're like, it looks like it's on the line there. We'll kind of see and and wing it. And like worst case scenario, this probably happened a couple of times where we just didn't have signal we just go stealth camp in the closest town. We just park on the side of the road and we're working out of the truck camper during the day or we pop into a cafe. No one knows any better. If I can comment about that, the number one secret for getting internet is go somewhere while you're working where the signal's good. Get get closer to town. Get on the, get on the edge of it. Get up on a hill above the town and point your, point your dual Yagi antenna. Now that you all know what it is, down at the town. You'll have tremendous service. And then when you're done working, just pack it up and head back to wherever you want to go. That's maybe super, super deep in the trees where not even Starlink works. Who knows? That's that's the real secret. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments where we were like, we just we're, it's late. We've been driving. We just want to sleep in the woods somewhere. But we know we have a call at eight, so we got to get up at six and make it give us time to get into town to get signal. Now that's less of a concern that we now that we have Starlink, just because it's more consistent and it's a whole different network right we're using satellite internet not cell signal so you know i think the best example is with starlink like we were doing video conferencing from the redwoods recently (laughs) using starlink crystal clear and i mean second part of our whole story and future plans is we will be working next summer from a remote island in southeast alaska using entirely starlink Mm -hmm. to be working so Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit from the technical side of things so the audience knows this is doable, totally. Like if you want to do you want to do van life, you want to go live on the road, you want to go live in the woods, this is totally doable. Rusty's explained a very like pretty clear situation in which you can make this happen for you. Let's talk a little bit about the places that you've been that just warm your heart. Like when I ask you what places stick out the most where you just said holy shit, I've made a good decision about my life. This is like, this is heartwarming. What places come to mind? Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, 
We've been so many places. It's it's hard to narrow it down, but there's a reason we're in Oregon. I mean, we love the Pacific Northwest. There's just something magical about getting off a call at 3 p.m. and then going on a mountain bike ride or a hike and not even having to commute to it. Like it's outside your door, right? You know, we did the we did a trip to the East Coast and we did upstate New York in Maine in like September, October. That was pretty magical. A lot of wilderness out there. We've, you know, Arizona has some really cool spots that were kind of unexpected for us where we were doing quite a bit of mountain biking, also working the full day. I I loved the Olympic National Forest and National Park. Those were probably some of my favorite spots, but yeah, all over really. (laughs) Not the Midwest, I guess. Anything that's not the Midwest. (laughs) No flyover states for you. Okay. Rusty, what are your thoughts? I, I always go back to Maine in my head. Maine is is a real diamond. It's beautiful, obvious, but the back roads. So we're talking about like logistics of moving around. You know, How easy is it to find a camp spot? How easy is it to move between them? How easy is it to get lost and find yourself at a lake, et cetera? Maine is set up. There are super highways going through the backwoods of nowhere in Maine because they're old logging roads. And off of the, they're dirt highways, not paved, but they're very great, amazing condition, barely even washboarded mostly. And off of them are little round clearings that are where the loggers would clear, oh goodness, I'm trying to think of football fields for most people out there. It's probably about one football field in width or diameter, a circle. They clear out. I don't understand why. And you can pull off and camp in those and have it all to yourself. Amazing signal. And the people are very nice. Love it. Um, can't recommend it highly enough. It's a great place to go. What do you What do you get out of this emotionally? Just as opposed to if you look back on the old days of working in an office, what is, what's changed in you internally? after having made this change and wake up, waking up in the morning with a beautiful view of the forest? So for me personally, I mean, I get a lot of comfort out of nature. I think a lot of people do. A lot of people figure that out during the pandemic, which I'm so happy to welcome them to the family. <laughs> but for yeah. me, it's like I get to cut out all that commute time, that middle time of like work and then the process of getting to what I enjoy. So I don't have to plan a big vacation to go camp for a weekend because I'm right there. You know, it's also how we choose different places to to put down roots for months at a time. But for me, it's like optimizing time. I mean, I'm all about efficiency. I'm all about not wasting time. And I think this is a great way to do that. I remember that. <laughs> not to lean into my marketing. <laughs> my marketing hat here but i mean it really is about optimizing your time because like i said if you've got a two hour window in your day you don't have any calls guess what you can go on a bike ride because you're right there you know like you can truly take advantage of your downtime i think speaking as as a fellow old man here we worry about longevity right and and getting value out of life and happiness out of life one of the things that i read a long time ago is there was a study and i don't know exactly the takeaway but the summary is roughly this is people who have lots of memories that are varied and different and exciting and and, and an assortment of them, when they think back on them, they perceive their own life as a longer lifespan than people who just stick with the mundane, do the same day over and over again. Inserting memories like, like the ones that we do will increase your perceived lifespan. And at the age of age of 39, I feel like I'm on death's door. So this is very important to me. So there's that. And then also, I think I know, I know that the way we're living life 
helps me perceive my job and the company I work for as something totally separate from me. I have a life outside of that and it doesn't, I don't know. It, it, I don't blend the two in my head, if that makes sense. I have a, I have mm, a life that's yeah, clear interesting, challenging, you know, that's, that's going on elsewhere. That and that's what preoccupies when I'm working, I'm thinking about all this other stuff I want to do. I got a diesel heater underneath my feet right now. That's like halfway being put together because that's what I'm thinking about all day. Work is, it's just so secondary, so secondary. Can you share one of those memories with me? Help me understand that. Which, which memory are you looking for? Yeah. You said these, you've got these, you said you've got these memories that, or, or somebody that's lived a full life full of adventures has these mm-hmm. memories that layer up and they really make the life, make your life seem longer mm-hmm. and more fulfilled. Do you have yeah, one of those sure. memories that come to mind immediately? For sure. I'm going to stick with Maine just because I was mentioning it earlier. Holly and I were at Moose Lake, right? Wasn't that Moose Head Lake? Moose Head Lake. Lake. Google it, folks. Google Maps it right now. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. You can camp there for forever. Wander the whole place. Beautiful. Bring a kayak. Bring a drone. You'll love it. Anyways, we were there and we did a walk around the perimeter of the majority of the lake. And on that hike, we're like, okay, we're going to cut through a certain area and head back to the truck camper. And I'm pretty good at reading topographical maps, knew where we were going, was following along. And the only path that was viable, unless we want to break some serious brush, was a moose trail. Very well traveled, very recently, very heavily traveled. By it was, it was quite interesting because all of a sudden we found ourselves on a trail where there was no running and hiding, no getting out of the way. And we had to walk about a good eighth of a mile to quarter mile on this thing, single track trail the middle of heavy brush, not knowing if we were going to come face to face to with the moose at any moment. And it was exciting and it was a little risky. We could have turned around and walked back, but you know what? It was kind of one of those things where it's like, statistically, we'll probably make it. We'll probably be okay. Let's do it. And I always think about it. It was fun. A little rush. I'm looking up pictures of moose head lake right now. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, there was a guy who was set up there like very obviously can't like living there for months, pumping water out of the lake, probably illegally, but it's doable. Not not Portland status living there for months, like respectfully. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, yeah, there were no needles everywhere. I understand. What would you recommend to somebody who hears this podcast and says, I want this to be my life. I want to have these types of adventures by myself or with a partner with whatever. And I want to layer these stories. I want my life to feel longer and more fulfilled. What would you say to somebody that's not quite there yet? They've got the ambition. They've heard this podcast. They've, they've got the dream, but they don't know what to do yet. I mean, personally, I think you need to build up to it. You need to do trial runs. Like, are you okay with significantly downsizing? You have to overcome. You have to problem solve. Also, I mean, you have to be willing to acquire new skills. Like, Prior to this, I knew how to read a map, but I wasn't as well versed in it as I am now. And now I'm like dependent upon, I got to get my offline maps. I got to get all my layers in Gaia to see like, is there smoke? What's the air quality like? What's the snow depth like? You know, what's the terrain going to be? Can we make these assumptions? You know, so you're going to have to learn new skills. And I mean, I'm really lucky because Rusty is very like he can do all of the the hands on needed like mechanical work on the vehicle. I would say you have to be realistic about that. You're not going to just buy a rig 
go on the road and like nothing's going to fall apart. Nothing's going to break. You're never going to have, you know, and that's why also being really smart about the rig you build and Russ, you can go into more detail about this, but like custom and old is not always better. Like Ford, they have parts everywhere, you know, like thinking about things like that to kind of mitigate the risk, I, I think is really important. And like, it's not about having an Instagram perfect vehicle. It's about, are you safe? Are you warm? And can you go the places you want? Which is why we have a truck camper because we can actually go down rougher roads where a van couldn't get to. Um, so I think it's a slow build and just test yourself until you get to that point where you're like, yeah, I could do this for months on end. This, this could be hours long, but for starting out, so I'm going to talk about people that are ready to hit the road with four wheels beneath them. A couple different things. Build your build or buy your rig with safety in mind. Look, understand what payloads are, gross vehicle weight capacities, things like this. Understand what that what the weights are, what your safe limits are, and get a vehicle that has brakes that can handle the weight you're moving. There is a vast difference when you slam on the brakes with truck A versus truck B or van A versus van B, and one just skids with all that weight behind it right into the back of somebody, somebody else's life, your life, versus one that stops practically on a dime. And we've had several situations where we were amazed that my was, I have an F, F, a Ford F450. It's a commercial grade vehicle. And I upgraded from a Dodge 3500. For those of you out there that know trucks or don't know trucks, they're the both of them are trucks with the dually tires in the back. So four wheels in the back axle. But there's a night and day difference between the two. Safety, safety, safety. Build it out with that in mind. And then the second thing, who cares what the Instagrammers are doing? Don't watch <laughs> those. Or not Insta, the, the famous YouTubers, Instagrammers. Don't watch them. Go watch people like, I'm trying to remember the YouTube channel. I think it's Colorado Camperman. I think is his name. Nobody famous. I don't watch every one of his videos, but his videos are real. And he talks about the real details of handling rot and things like that. That'll make you understand what you're getting into. Don't just watch the stuff that's pretty. Yeah. Tell me why. Tell me why the whole curated van life thing and following the steps of people's bullshit. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'll let Holly say about it for a minute, but I want to say I'm not completely against it. There's a reason why it's out there. You know, it's nicer to look at. So I'm sorry if I bash those folks a little bit. Love it. I even thought about starting up the YouTube channel, but Holly will dive into it. I think the main differentiator is like, this is your life, not a vacation. So like, you don't get to just bounce out of there because, uh, you know, your toilet's not working. Like you have to be prepared to address those issues. And if you prioritize where you live based on the aesthetics, like that's not that's not a real life. I mean, obviously, if you are, you know, if that feeds your soul, being in a beautiful environment, great. But that's what nature is for us. Like, we don't need to have, and I'm not saying the inside of our rig is like hideous, but it's not like all glitz and glam like a lot of these van builds are. And I think that's for a reason. Like, we are very realistic about, we need storage. Storage is very important when you're going to go live in a vehicle. And a lot of these van builds, it's like, wow, they have this, you know, full-size shower. And it's like, where do you put anything? Can you bring any of the gear that you want to use to all for all <laughs> these fun activities? No. So we have prioritized that. And, and also, like, Rusty was saying safety, like we have chains with us at all times in case we get cut, caught on a snowy road, you know, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Same with like, and we even have, for example, like, like an emergency GPS satellite 
forests tracker thing. So like if we are in the middle of a national forest and there's a medical emergency, we have a button we push where we can get airlifted out of there. And that that is important. Like you have to be realistic about those things. If you're doing this sort of travel where you're going deep into the woods away from civilization, you know, know the the boundaries of how much fresh water you can bring with you and, you know, things like that. Like it it is important for that. And I again, like it's not a vacation. If it's your life, you you need to make sure that you plan for comfort, security and flexibility. And that even extends to things like are you signed up for like virtual medical services? You know, like that's one of the great things to come out of the pandemic. Like I can video conference a doctor if I need a prescription called in. You know, that's a game changer versus having to go in person. And so equipping yourselves with those types of services before you commit to this lifestyle and just thinking through that list of like, what are my daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever needs and being realistic about how you can still have those met while you're being a nomadic. I keep saying the same thing over and over again. Don't follow the Instagram digital nomad stuff because all you're seeing is the perfect curated stuff. What you're not seeing is me struggling to get Wi-Fi and having a panic attack because I've got a client on the line and I haven't figured out my backup, backup, backup device and everything just went to shit. It's not like why my life living as a digital nomad is is less intense than yours. I don't have to worry about extending 40 foot poles up in the air and stuff. But still, it's not the perfect, what you see on Instagram is the 10% of the time when everything is going absolutely perfect. And I want you to see that. You're not seeing clogged toilets, everybody. You're not seeing yeah. all of these problems that happen on a day-to-day -day basis. I will so, also yeah, say, it's, it's the same. Yeah. sorry to interrupt, but like, I also, we, we're living in a small space, right? Like the truck camper is extremely small. We both have calls, right? So there are times where, I'm sitting in the front cab of the truck taking my call and Rusty's in the back taking his call so that we don't have to talk over each other. Or, you know, like Rusty wakes up a lot earlier than me. And so he just like sits in the truck camper, tries to be careful, reads, you know, while I'm sleeping. It's a lot easier to navigate in the summer months where we can use the outdoors. But like mm -hmm. we have camped in like single digit weather before. And you just, you know, you have to be willing to like Make little concessions to make your life work. You have to be clean, put things away after you take them out, you know, and and recognize that it's just it's not going to be glamorous and perfect all the time. But that's the payoff. Right. And, and as long as you're OK with that and you're, I guess, realistic about it, then I think it's worth it. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. You've got a very, very cool, unique, very different from a lot of the guests that I've had. So thank you so much, Holly. Thank you so much, Rusty. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Do you want the audience to find you anywhere or do you want to hide in the woods and and, and we not share any, <laughs> share any social platforms? Yeah, we don't really have like a joint uh, follow us along in our journey. Everyone keeps asking me to make one, but. Sure. Me too. Me too. I, I don't have one either. I've been getting asked to do it. I'm like, well, I just don't want to be another schmuck with some other. I know, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be a content creator. I just want to enjoy my life. So, no, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I always am very concerned with privacy. So I don't I don't hit social media. As a matter of fact, some people that I follow on social media, I've even been the guy that whenever I saw like some paperwork in the background of the video with the guys, I, rem I literally called up a guy was like, hey, your phone number was visible on this form in the background of a video. Do you understand like what you can do with that and what people and he's just like, what, man, who are you? <laughs> so I stay <laughs> I, I keep my life off the of social medias. Fair enough. Cool. 
All right. Well, you're going to find Holly and Rusty here on this podcast and that's it. Or if you happen to stumble upon them in the woods. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you everybody for joining the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. And we will see you again next week. Oh, 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 oh,